Good morning. Thank you for having me in your chapel service. I do appreciate it. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, and thank you for the reading from one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, one of my favorite characters in the Gospels, actually. A woman known to us now only as the hemorrhaging woman or the bleeding woman or the woman with the issue of blood. It seems that no one seemed to take the time to find out what her name was on the occasion. And in fact, her story even only actually appears as a sidebar to somebody else's story. That person's story, he is named. Someone did take the time to find out who that person was. That was Jairus, leader of the synagogue, teacher of the law. A man I suspect... Well, you can only guess, but I suspect a man who, if he was being a good teacher of the law, a good leader of the synagogue, had probably cautioned his congregation and those over whom he had some authority as a leader to avoid this snake oil salesman from the north. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth, as we know. And as a teacher of the law, I know, says Jairus, that only a teacher worth his salt would be teaching from the Mosaic law, Right? And yet this one, this one that they say who can perform magic tricks and who teaches with great authority, he hardly ever even refers to the Mosaic law. He tells bizarre provincial stories about men being forced to eat with pigs or housewives turning their homes upside down looking for lost coins. What what kind of nonsense is this? Don't go chasing after every pretender to the messianic role in our culture, and definitely not one like this. And yet, this same man has a daughter who is dying. And our love for our families often makes fools of us all, does it not? I don't even know how certain he was that Jesus could heal her, but no doubt having tried every prayer and offering in the book, He goes out and humiliates himself. He embarrasses himself before his own community and he begs the snake oil salesman from the north, come, heal my daughter. And Jesus says, of course I'll come. Actually, a pagan centurion once said to me, I didn't even need to come because I could just declare that his servant healed from here, but maybe your faith isn't as great as his, so I will come with you. Take me to her. Now, who knows, but I always imagine in my reimagining of this story that Jairus probably took Jesus' hand. If you've been to the Middle East, men holding hands is not an unusual thing. So taking Jesus' hand like a child and dragging him through the crowd, desperate to take him to his home, to his dying daughter. But they get not too far before Jesus yanks his hand from Jairus and says, wait, I'm coming. Somebody just touched me. I felt something go out from me. Who was that that touched me? And then, as you heard, Luke says, but they all denied it. I often find myself, when I read Luke, laughing, because to me this seems like a Monty Python moment, don't you think? It's kind of like, <laughs> who, who was that touched me? I just felt some power go out from me. And they're all like, oh, it wasn't me. Like, was it you? Was it me? I, I don't do it. 
And Peter actually says, well, like, you could kind of take your pick because a lot of people were here. Maybe someone else bumped you. No, 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 says Jesus, shush. I wasn't just jostled. I mean, someone touched me with the touch of faith. Who was that? Then Jesus does something. Probably your elementary school or junior high school teacher probably did. When they all deny it, Jesus says, okay, well, no one leaves here until whoever touched me owns up. (laughs) And forced, forced by Jesus, one of the saddest and most pathetic characters in the Gospels, steps into the assembly of men. And she says, I touched you. I touched you. And at the moment that I touched you, the issue of blood dried up. Can you imagine what this woman's life had been like? You know, in this context, when a woman was in her menstrual period, she was considered unclean, wasn't she? We know there's nothing unclean about menstruating. It's actually perfectly natural and very clean. But in this context, for a woman to be menstruating was to be unclean. She couldn't enter the synagogue. She definitely couldn't enter the temple. Her husband would not lie with her. In this instance, for a woman not to be menstruating but to be bleeding for 12 years would mean to have been shut out of the assembly of the faithful. It would have been marginalized from community. No man would put up with this. She would have no husband. A terrible thing could be said of her. She could not even turn to prostitution. She would be a no person, a no thing. She would be the most marginalized expression of pariah in her context. And she would have stunk and been filthy and possibly starving, having spent her every cent on medications and healers. And this woman, who is not even afforded a name, comes out of the crowd and into the parted assembly of men. And Jesus says, not for her benefit, but for the benefit of those men who are gathered, my daughter, it's your faith that made you well. You heroic, faithful one. If all Jesus was concerned about was healing her, well, the deal was done at the moment at which she touched his cloak. But Jesus is concerned not only with healing her, he's concerned with also re-entering her into community. And not just re-entering into her community in the status she would have previously had, he actually facilitates her re-entry into community as a hero of faith. You men of God, do you want to know what faith looks like? Look at this trembling, filthy, outcast one, my daughter, whose faith has made her well. If I had hair on the back of my neck, it would be standing up right now. (laughs) Do you see what's happening in this story as Luke retells it? Jairus, sanctimonious and self-righteous, must humble himself. He must throw himself at the feet of Jesus. 
He must become the humiliated one in order to encounter Christ. But for the bleeding woman, she must be brought out of the shadows and lifted up in the assembly of men. I love how Luke has seen this interplay. One must lower himself to encounter Jesus and one must esteem herself and enter the assembly. And there between them stands Jesus, the one who makes them brother and sister. It's astonishing. I should finish the story because it's so cool. But I could finish there, but let's, let's just reiterate how it ends, right? Take me, Joas, uh, your daughter, she's dying. And as they approach the home, well before they get there, as was Middle Eastern custom, now that the daughter has died, the women of the village would have been wailing in that, that, that mourning song that they sing. You would have heard it. It'd be, like a, it'd be like an ambulance siren, like the whole neighborhood would know. Grief has visited this house. Jairus would have heard it long before he reached his home and would have known. Friends come forward and they say, Jairus, you're making a fool of yourself. Send this teacher away. Your daughter has died. And then Jesus says something, I think probably at Asbury Seminary at pastoral ministry subjects, they train you not to say, he says, oh, it's probably all right. She's probably just sleeping. (laughs) Don't try that in hospital visitation ministry, okay? (laughs) They scoff at him like, what kind of fool is this? But Jesus pushes past them and sits on the bed with this cadaver and says, Arise from your slumber, my child. He has the power of a life and death. It foreshadows the resurrection, does it not? In this tiny interplay between these two people, we learn something of the real character of King Jesus He didn't just come to die for your sins on the cross. He came to show us a whole new way of being human. He came to satisfy the covenant, to be substitute for Israel, and in satisfying that covenant, to burst it forth and to blow it open. And he reminds us that those of us that would dare to suggest that our vocation is to mirror the work of Christ in this world We must believe that part of that vocation is at the very least to humble the sanctimonious and the proud and to lift up the marginalized and the outcast. In this respect, our commitment to ministry is in fact to notice the unnoticed, to value the valueless, to love the loveless, to lift up the dark and the dirty and the filthy and the outcast and to bring them into the assembly and to affirm the image of God in all people. It's been committed to reconciliation and justice and peace and mercy. But it is also to speak truth to power, to refuse to allow our country... I just spoke like I was an American. To refuse to allow your country or mine to believe that the way out of our problems is by electing the right president or having the right congress or putting the right people in power. 
That is not our hope, my friends. We as the Jesus people, we speak into the lives of Jairus and we say, on your knees before the King of kings and Lord of lords, our King Jesus, the one who humbles the sanctimonious and the proud and who lifts up the dark and the sick and the abandoned. It's in this nexus you and I find our purpose and vocation. Let me pray for you. Father God, remind us again of the call you've placed upon our lives as those who speak truth to power, who refuse to be seduced by the ways of this world, those of us who acknowledge one king and one king only. Father, remind us of our duty to engage the marginalised, the outcast, the poor, the hungry, those victims of unjust structures in our world. Father, ordain us afresh to the work of mirroring your work in this world, to the glory of your Son and our Saviour, our Rock and our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen.